Greetings, everyone. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is the celebration that comes 50 days after the Passover. And it is the time when the people offer their first fruits to God. In our passage, however, during this Pentecost celebration, something different and unique happens. You would have noticed that our passage reading was quite long, but don't worry, we are not aiming for a super long sermon today. We are going to focus on the second half of the reading, so there's no need to order in lunch or prop up an extra pillow. Please do keep your Bibles open at Acts chapter 2 as we go through the text. But before we go into the passage today, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help me to preach faithfully and help us to listen faithfully by the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, imagine if you ask the little kid who went to see a birthday celebration for the first time and you ask him, what is a birthday all about? What do you think he will answer? Well, to be honest, kids today are smart and they will know exactly what birthdays are about. But if he had said, oh, birthdays are all about having a nice cake with candles on it that you blow out and you cut when everyone sings the birthday song for you, is he right? Well, he isn't wrong, isn't he? It's at the very center of how we celebrate birthdays. But at the same time, he didn't quite capture the heart of what a birthday celebration is. We may be tempted to tell him that there is more than cake and candles and singing. A birthday celebration is a celebration of a person. The blessing that the person has been to others and it is a way for us to show our love and care to that person. So, if I ask you next, what is Pentecost all about? What would you say? Would you point out to the Holy Spirit descending like tongues of fire? Or how they started to speak in tongues and all that were there heard their own language being spoken? and were astonished by this miracle. Now, these are not wrong answers. These are part of what happened on that Pentecost day. But just like with the birthday cakes and the candle and the singing, we have to ask the question, what is the significance of this Pentecost event? Now, we have to ask these questions because frankly, Sometimes we can get very caught up in the wonder of the miracles and make it the main thing. And we know that sometimes Christians tend to make speaking in tongues as the big thing. And even until today, focus on that particular aspect. There are many churches whose identity is rooted in either miracles or activities such as speaking in tongues. We want to see if this is the emphasis and focus of the day of Pentecost so that we know how we should celebrate and how it affects us. As we look at this passage, we need to take a step back from what we usually think of this day and look at what the passage is teaching us. And then from there, see what the author is showing us about what the focus of the day of Pentecost is. And so with that, we come to the first part of the reading. Now, when we look at verses 1 to 4, 
the context is that this is post-resurrection after the Gospels. Here, the disciples have already seen Jesus ascend into heaven. And now they are waiting, in a sense, for further instructions. So not knowing what to do, they had devoted themselves in prayer. And here, in our passage, as we see them gathered together, suddenly, the Holy Spirit descended on them like tongues of flames. And suddenly, they begin to speak in other languages. What is the point of this? Well, we are told in verse 5 to 11 that there were Jews from all around the world gathered there. These people saw and heard what was happening and they were totally amazed to hear this proclamation of God's mighty work in salvation being declared to them in their own native tongue. They were able to understand this language and understand what is being said. And clearly the point here is that the proclamation of the gospel of salvation that God brings to mankind is now being shared to everyone in every language. In Genesis, out of pride, man sought to challenge God by building the Tower of Babel that was supposed to reach up to heaven and challenge God. In response, God confused their language and scattered them as his judgment on the hubris of mankind. And here on this day of Pentecost, we see a reversal of this. Men are no longer being scattered because they speak different tongues, but now are being called back in their own tongues to hear about God. The many tongues of the world that have originally been something that formed a natural barrier from one people to another are now broken down by this miracle of God. They don't need to speak Hebrew or Aramaic to understand what God has done in the Old Testament. They are being told in their own language. And we can already see from here that our emphasis then on this passage is not just the miracle of the speech, but in what God is doing with that miracle. God is calling back all the scattered people of the, of the world who speak different tongues and revealing his glory to them. Here, it is the Jewish people, men of Israel, who has been scattered to the many nations. But eventually, this will continue until every tongue and every nation will know of God. Until every knee bends and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Christ. In verse 12 to 21, we see that in response to this miracle, Peter steps up to deliver a speech, a sermon to explain the situation. And he assures them that these people were not drunk and spewing nonsense as some had thought. But rather, this is a miracle that God is fulfilling his promise from back in the Old Testament. He points them to the prophet Joel to show them what is happening here is a picture of God beginning the process of bringing upon a day of salvation when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This sermon by Peter then continues on as he gives a defense of the gospel by proclaiming what scripture says and what the disciples have seen. 
he brings the argument then to a close with the beginning of our sermon focus today, from verse 36 onwards. Now in verse 36, Peter ties his exposition from earlier to make it very clear that Jesus was just recently crucified by the Jewish authority, is the Lord and Christ. The people at that time would have heard the propaganda that Jesus was a false teacher, that he was punished for wrongly claiming to be the Christ. The Jewish authority chose crucifixion intentionally as a means of killing Jesus in order to totally discredit and humiliate him so that no one will listen to him. No one will pay attention to him. Yet here, through this fulfillment of the prophecies in Joel, through the pouring out of the Spirit, the lies of the Jewish leaders are revealed. Jesus is God's chosen king. God has sent the Messiah as promised. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that's what we learn here. The people hear this message and they are told that they have been culpable in killing the various saviour that they have been waiting for. However, Peter reminds them that God has raised Jesus up again and set him as Lord over all creation. There is still hope for them. And so in verse 37 then, the people heard the message of Peter and they believed what he told them and they were cut to the heart. They did not wish to kill the Messiah that was done by the corrupted leaders. And now having seen for themselves the miracle of God, having realized who Jesus is, they were cut to the heart and sought to respond to God. And so they asked Peter, what shall we do? And then we see in verse 38, Peter outlines the gospel for them, their means of salvation. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Do this and God will send the Holy Spirit as he has promised in Joel. They will be filled with the Spirit and be enabled to live a life that finally is pleasing to God. Their sins forgiven, their place in heaven guaranteed as the people of God. And this is the very core of the Jewish hope from the time of the Old Testament. And this promise is for them, their children, and even those who are far off. And friends, this same offer stands even until today. It is offered to you, to your family, to your friends, and to everyone you present this offer to. How would you respond to this offer if you have not responded yet? Now, from the direction that Peter's sermon and exhortation is coming from, we can already see that Pentecost is not just about those few people speaking in tongues. Peter only uses that to point to the assurance that God is at work so that the people can hear the gospel. So the point of all that happens here so far is about this gospel call to salvation to the people so that they will hear they will repent and they will come to salvation. So how do they respond? We see then in verse 40 that Peter exhorts them and tells them of the witness of the disciples, the things that he has seen and understood. And with these words, he pleads with them, come to salvation. Peter evangelizes the crowd. And in verse 41, we see something amazing. 3,000 souls in one go 
have received that word of life, that gospel, responding to it by placing their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and come to be baptized. Amazing, isn't it? The text in verse 42 tells us that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But added where? As we continue to read, we find out that they have become part of God's people. They have been added as part of God's church. From the work of the Spirit in leading men to speak in tongues, to capture their interest and attention so that they will hear Peter speak the gospel to them. And then finally, to convicting their hearts of the gospel and leading these 3,000 men to join the ranks of God's people, which is the church. That's the work of the Spirit here. Therefore, friends, if we are asked, what is the point of Pentecost? We can say it is the birthday of the church, can't we? This was the day when the Spirit was poured out in abundance and the first harvest was brought in. On that day of Pentecost, when traditionally Israel will offer their first harvest to God in the temple, we see here God reaping the first harvest for His church. So yes, they spoke in tongues. Yes, on that day, God performed a great miracle. But just like how the main point of the story of how Israel comes out of Egypt wasn't about God being able to bring down the ten plagues or being able to split the Red Sea, but was about God saving His people, in the same way, we also need to see that the Holy Spirit wasn't only poured out to make men speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit now works to draw people to the gospel, to change their hearts, to bring them to Christ for salvation, just as how God has promised in the Old Testament. This was the purpose for which Christ came to the world. This was the purpose of why Christ shed his precious blood. He purchased his bride, the church, and here, in this very passage, we see that being established, the birthday of the church. So when we think about Pentecost, we want to look at the entire Old Testament and see that the message remains the same. The main purpose of Pentecost is that God is now establishing his church. We will see throughout Acts that this is a church that now goes beyond the borders of Israel and it calls on every single person that God has predestined and elected to be part of the church that God is establishing. Language and ethnicity is no longer a barrier. The mighty work of gathering the harvest has finally and truly begun through this initiation by the Holy Spirit. This is the birthday of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Let that sink in. Have you ever thought of Pentecost as the birthday of the church? Or has it always been about the miraculous display of speaking in tongues? For many of us, it tends to be the later. It's all about the miracle and the amazing display. And of course, this is not a wrong thing, isn't it? God truly did work in that way. And we glorify God through that. 
But friends, it does show our weakness as well if that is all that we see as the focus for Pentecost. It shows us that we tend to look to the external displays and miss out on the great things that God is doing inside the heart. Sometimes we appreciate the work of the Spirit in leading them in the speaking of tongues, but we forget about the Spirit leading Peter to speak with boldness. That same fearful Peter who denied Jesus three times. Sometimes we forget about the work of the Spirit in convicting the heart of sinful men. These men heard the gospel and their hearts were cut when they came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they realized that they have wronged him by joining the crowds that had mocked and crucified him, by not accepting him, by rejecting Jesus. And friends, only the Spirit can wake us up to hear that gospel and to respond rightly. We forget about the work of the Spirit in leading these 3,000 men to place their trust in Jesus. And from that point onwards, changing their lives from this moment on, these people are going to suffer. They're going to be persecuted. They will sacrifice mightily in the name of Christ. And all that they do, you have to remember, is sustained by the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost Sunday. So let us appreciate Pentecost in all its glory, not just by focusing on the miracles that he brought to pass, but also in the work to build up the church through that same Spirit. The same work that goes on even today, even right now, as he works in your very heart to bring about conviction of the truth of all the things seen in our passage today give thanks to the work of the spirit and we come to verse 42 and we see the shape of this church that god has created through the spirit we see in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching to fellowship to breaking bread together and in prayers. And friends, this was how that early church looked like. And I wonder if we too hold that same character as a church, or do we look different? Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. Now take a look at our own lives, friends. Would you say that you are devoted to these things? Or are you only about doing these things on a Sunday. And even then, only when it's convenient to you. Take for example, being devoted to the apostolic teaching. Do you strive to learn from the Bible with devotion? Or is the Bible something that you only get a little dose of during Sunday preaching? On Sundays, you'll get 20 minutes of teaching. And for some of us, that is all that is for that week. Shouldn't we be showing more eagerness? Practically speaking, if we are eager to learn from the Bible, then you need to ask, have you joined a Bible study group? Now, with the pandemic and how everything is online, you don't even have to leave the comforts of your house. You just need to have a phone or a laptop. 
Yet even then, there are so many from our church who are not part of any form of Bible study groups that eagerly studies God's Word. There's youth Bible studies, there's women Bible studies, there's so many options, but it's not being utilized. Why is that so? There does seem to be something wrong with how we are not really devoted to these things, right? Something to think about here. Similarly, we also see a call for fellowship and for the breaking of bread. And the picture here is one of family, of sharing, of holding things in common. It is about loving one another deeply, participating in each other's life. Now, with the circumstances of the pandemic, it is hard to meet up. And it's also not wise to do so at this moment, right? But even then, even then, there are other options. Phone calls, messages, video calls, greeting cards. You can deliver Christian books online. Buy people a coffee or a meal online. Write them a letter. Call them and pray with them. Where there is a will, there's a way, isn't it? Do we, do we then long for this sense of oneness and family with each other? Even before the pandemic, when the church was open and we were able to gather, was your heart in fellowship with each other? Was that your desire? Or was the church about the service and the communion? And then you're ready to jump into your car and go off. We all still remember how quickly the walk to the cathedral car park after service starts, don't we? There are things that we can be working on when we are able to gather together, aren't there? In fact, if we are not going to work on these things that scripture tells us are important, then what is the point of lamenting that the church cannot gather together? So think about that when you feel upset that MCO means you can't come to the service. So here we see this picture of the early church bound together by the teaching and by love for one another. What did this lead to? We see this portrait of the early church in verse 43 to 46. God worked powerfully amongst the apostles in signs and wonder so that they were awestruck by the work of God. The community shared everything even selling their possessions in verse 44 for the sake of the needy. In verse 46, we see them attending the temple together to worship. And after that, they come together again to fellowship and breaking bread together. They were glad and generous in spirit as they praised God in verse 47. And friends, this is the picture of the early church. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Now, obviously, we have a long way to go before we have the same commitment to each other as seen here. They were selling their possessions and belongings to help each other based on their needs. Tell me, do you think that there are those in our church who are poor and struggling? What do we do for them? Do we look like this church in Acts? 
Now, don't get me wrong. I do know that there are some of you who are eager for God's word. And I do know that some of you take fellowship seriously. And some go that extra mile for the sake of caring for others. And God bless you for all of that. And praise be to God for how he has grown you. Yet if we zoom out and we look at the entire church, there is still need for us to grow more in our convictions, isn't there? Some of us may be great in our eagerness for studying the word, but maybe we can work better on loving each other. Some of us may be great in loving each other, but maybe we need to work better to find time to love God's word. There's always some manner in which our love for God and our love for our neighbours can be improved, isn't it? If we wonder why our church growth is not faster, and we want to, uh, we want to put the blame on those who plan events, or those who do the promotion, or we think we need a fancier building, or decorations, or shining blinking lights to encourage visitors, then we have missed the point of today's passage. The faithful church is bonded deeply by a desire for God's word and genuine sacrificial love for each other as they lift out the implications of the gospel. And thus, God gave the church growth. So friends, if you are like me and you're eager to want to see the church grow more and more, the first thing to do is work on these two things. As we love each other more and more, as we seek God's words for ourselves, as we encourage others here to love each other, encourage them to grow in God's word, it is only then that God is going to come and work powerfully through the Spirit to grow the church. Now we are thankful that there are so many of you already here and there is great fruit in many of you that shows the work of the Spirit. But if we compare ourselves to the early church and how committed they were, we can see that we can grow more. We can do better. But not by relying on our own strength or setting tough goals and scolding each other and forcing us to grow. No, no, no. Not that way. But rather, by relying on the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. As we pray for this, as we seek to soften our hearts to do these things, as we encourage others to do this, as the Word of God works in our hearts. Friends, the Spirit has been working since the day the church was born, and He is still working, even today. God has established His church that day, when he poured out the Spirit. So may we be people who look back and long to be a church that is powerful and responsive to the work of the Spirit. On this Pentecost Sunday, as we celebrate the birthday of the church, let us reflect and grow together. Let us as one people eagerly desire that God will make us like them, that early Christian church, 
let us not be content to be where we are, but seek to grow. Desire the teaching of God's word. Desire for the deep fellowship that marks the genuine church. And as we lament that we cannot gather together because of the pandemic, let us also resolve to change things so that when we are able to come back again, we will be better. So that the glory of God can be seen in how we love God's word and how we love one another. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit that we may not at times long for your word as we should. We admit that we don't love our brothers and sisters as much as we should. And Father, we look for excuses not to love, not to serve, not to be sacrificial. And we convince ourselves that these are good excuses. Please, Lord, through your Spirit, unmask our hypocrisy. Teach us to love deeply, genuinely, no matter who, as long as they accept Christ. Help us to build up our church, Father, on this day. We pray this, this day of Pentecost, when, when you began this great pouring of the Spirit and gathering of that church from all the corners of the world. Bless us, Lord, that we will grow, that we will bring more and more people to Christ by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.